You know, there's an ancient folktale about a tiger that was brought up with a herd of goats. Ever heard of that folktale? Anybody familiar with that folktale? From the day his eyes opened, all he saw was a goat's life. So it became his style of life, too. The tiger munched grass with the rest, butted heads with the younger goats for recreation, and learned to bleat in an odd sort of way, a sound that resembled, so he thought, the goat's voice. Now, once in a while, there was a nagging voice inside of him that said, you don't belong to this life. But always he put it aside as a fantasy, some disturbing intrusion from the world of dreams. If this didn't satisfy him, he just marked it off as the discontent that always hovers around the edges of any lifestyle. So he, a tiger, chose to stay with a goat's way of life because he believed that that was the way life had to be. Then one day, a tiger came into the clearing, and he was all tiger, having grown up knowing who he was. He looked into the clearing, spotted the goats, and roared the earth-shaking roar of his species, bounded out and made his kill. The goats fled in terror, and so did the tiger who had grown up with them. At first, he wanted to stay. The roar from the edge of the forest had stirred some lost memory in his soul. It flexed his great muscles in a kind of automatic reflex to the challenge from the forest edge. And for a moment, he could have been a tiger too. But he could not believe in the sound that he heard and the challenge that it brought. He couldn't believe in himself, in the instincts that had lain dormant so long. For a brief moment, he could have been a tiger, and he wanted to try. But then the goat's life was all that he knew, and so he turned and he fled. He could have grasped a new and greater life, but then he fell back to being a goat for the rest of his days. There's a tiger at the edge of the forest of your life today. There's a lion, the lion of Judah, whose name is Jesus, unique and winsome, and he is all that you should be, all he is calling you to be, all that you were destined to be. He is everything that God intended. He is the son of the living God, and you and I can be sons and daughters. You really can't avoid him. There's something deep inside stirs when you hear the sound of his voice. The tiger calls deep unto deep. The tiger, Jesus, the lion, is calling to you and to me. morning, we're beginning a three-week series, just a brief series, entitled Kaleo, 
If you happen to wander through the halls of Bethel Christian Fellowship, you know, there's always something happening around here, and you happen to hear some of us staff calling out to each other. We've got this new little, Kaleo! <laughs> Kaleo! The call of the king in our lives. So over these three weeks, we're going to be looking and unpacking this call in this year to engage. I don't know about anybody else. Anybody else psyched about 2013? A year to engage? Well, that was beautiful. All right, okay. I'm going to have to have my daughter give uh, whatever that sound is uh, training for you. Okay, how many of you are excited about 2013 and a year to engage? Yeah. Remember last year, a year to dream. And remember Eleanor Roosevelt's quote, the world needs dreamers, the world needs doers, the world needs dreamers who do. So as we've been dreaming the God dreams that he has given to us, over these past 12 months, now the Lord is inviting us to begin to take up and work out. If you're going to see your dreams fulfilled, you're going to have to wake up and get to work on the things that he's called us into. So these three weeks we're going to be looking at called and then Throughout the, the season of Lent, we're going to be doing a sermon series entitled Apostello, which means sent. We're called and we're sent. But before we understand the sending, we have to understand the calling. All right? And so that's what we're going to be looking at over these next three weeks. Our key passage is taken from Second, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Very familiar passage to many of us. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Aren't you glad? That in itself should give us a shout. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy. He has called you. Now, as we look more deeply into the scripture, we discover that really he has given us three specific calls. The first call that he has given us is the call to come to me. It's this call that we were just in story form talking about. It's the, the lion at the edge of the forest of our life who says, come to me and discover your true identity as a child of the living God, belonging to the people of God. He invites us to come to me. His second invitation is to come after me. It's the call to believe, and we're going to talk about that next week specifically in the context of discipleship and that call for believing him and coming after him as our master, as the one whom we seek to replicate our life after. But sometimes we stop 
after those two calls, the come to me and the come after me, and we miss the third call of the Lord. And I don't want us as a congregation to miss this third call. I want us to engage all three of these calls. Because the third call that he gives us is the call to come with me. To come with me into his mission in the world. A call to become an ambassador with him and for him, for his kingdom. He calls us to come to him, to come after him, and to come with him. To belong, to believe, to become. By the way, if you haven't gotten your new lifeline, the new lifeline is all about belong, believe, and become. It's wonderful. They're just wonderful things in here in uh, the Lifeline. Thank you for the whole committee that puts that together every uh, month, and you're going to want to get it if for no other reason that... Have I told you about Fiona, my granddaughter? Yeah, there, there she is. All right, so if for no other reason, pick up the Lifeline for that. But there's lots of other reasons, and there's lots of beautiful babies. Oh, my goodness. Look at all of them. They are precious and adorable. And Wesley's even talking already. He, he, even, he, he tells his story in here. So it's very, very good. Uh, all right. Come to me. How many of you were here just a few minutes ago when we were doing a baby dedication? Anybody present? Yeah, you guys are here? What was the scripture we used? Mark 10. It's right there in your bulletin. <laughs> you even have. So this morning, we're going to do more than just talk about it in the context of a baby dedication, but we're going to talk about it in the context of your and my life. Because Jesus had a principle here that was more than just for, I mean, it's, I'm grateful he put it in there. It's wonderful scripture for baby dedications, but it's the, the, the significance and importance of it is much greater than simply that because it's an invitation and a call to your and my life. It says people were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. And when Jesus saw this, he was ticked off. That's what indignant means. He was unhappy with his disciples. Why? He said to them, let the little children, what? Come to me. Say it with me. Come to me. And do not hinder them. Don't put a block in their way. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Now listen carefully, people. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Unless you receive the kingdom like a little child, you'll never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. Now, here is the starting gate, as it were, of 
our life, our true life. It begins when we respond to his invitation to receive his call into relationship with the king, which opens the door to the kingdom. And when we enter into the kingdom, we belong to God. Now this morning you may be here and you've never, you, you, you know, you may have heard somewhere at the edge of the forest about Jesus and you've heard some things about his voice and maybe you're turned upside down and you're not exactly sure about what you've heard and you're not sure what step you need to take next. Let me tell you what step you need to take first. The first step that you and I get to take, are invited by Jesus, is to come to Him. Into relationship with the living God. I've said this so many times, you've heard it. Christianity is not primarily a religion. It's a relationship. It's a relationship with a living God who is absolutely head over heels in love with you. He loves you. But let me unpack that just a little bit more for all of us. Because guess what? We need to come back to this point over and over and over again in our life. It's not just a beginning point. It's a foundation step. You don't graduate from this. We continually rehear his invitation. Come to me. And come to me in what way? We receive and we enter in like a child. Now, how many of you know that there's a difference between childlike and childish? You know, the old saying, you're only young once, but you can be immature forever. That's not what we're talking about. I'm not talking about childishness here, but Jesus is talking here about being childlike. And what does that look like in our lives? How do we receive and enter like a child? First of all, we receive and enter like a child with dependence. From the time we are young, as parents, our goal is to raise our children to independence and ultimately into interdependence. However, God always invites us back to a place of true dependence on him. Guess what? There is nothing that you can do to make yourself worthy to receive the grace of God. You can't earn it. It's gift offered to you. The doorway into it is your declaration of dependence on Him. It means coming with trust. How many of you, dads do this. I don't know if moms do this, but dads do this all the time. You know, when your little child is on top of the couch, probably where they're not supposed to be if mom is looking, 
And you're there as the dad, and you're saying, jump. Right? Or you're standing in the pool, and your little one's standing there shaking on the edge of the pool, and you're just standing there with a holding out the arm saying, jump. If your child takes the jump and you go like this, They won't be swimming again for a while. But you're building in them trust. Jesus invites us to jump. To jump into his arms. That's what faith is. To trust that he is truly who he says he is. That he is the God who genuinely does love you. He is the only one who can forgive you of your sins who has paid the price and the penalty on the cross so that we could experience salvation. We must trust in him. And guess what? That's a lifelong journey. Anybody figured that out yet? Anybody figured that out? The longer you go, the bigger the opportunities to trust become. Right? It just gets bigger. You just get to trust him for more. Because he invites you to be childlike with humility. With humility. Children, at least when they're small, recognize that they don't have all the answers. Then they become teenagers. Okay, but before that, before that, I was a teenager. I know how it goes. But when they're small, they realize we don't have There's a genuine humility that says, I need to understand. I need to learn. I need to grow. I need to come through this gate low. Transparency. Kids don't, you know, they don't hide their stuff real well, do they? They're pretty transparent. You can see it right on their face. You see what's going on. All right? Well, that's exactly how Jesus invites us to be with him. You've been wandering around trying to put a cloak over yourself, trying to hide yourself behind, you know, he can't see me. Guess what? He can see you. He sees our lives and our hearts. I used to scare the pants off people when I was younger. He knows. (laughs) Now it's more like, oh, he knows. Why hide? Why hide? What good's that do? Just open up your life to him. With simplicity. Children are simple. Their needs are simple. Their desires are simple. Their, Their lives are simple. There's not a lot of you know, complexity around it. They're just simple. And God invites us into a similar simplicity. A simplicity before him. A unity of heart. God, you know, as we get older, we get so, there's so many other things that begin to take our attention and begin to to vie for for our loyalty But when we come like a child, there's a simplicity. There's a focus. There's a unity of our hearts before him. 
that he treasures. He loves us. When we come to Jesus, we discover that our primary identity is a child of God. Our primary identity is as a child of God. Before I'm a pastor, before I'm a husband, before I'm a parent, a father, before I'm a friend, before I'm anything else, my primary identity is as his child. And if we don't get that, we spend all of our lives relentlessly pursuing some way to validate who we are. But when we come to him, we realize that we have already received his validation, and that's the only validation we need. His is the only approval. His is the only affirmation. His is the only acceptance. His is the only admiration that we truly need. I've shared this story before, but it's been quite a while, and I love it. It's always stuck with me. Ken Davis, in his book, Fire Up Your Life, tells this story. He's a Christian comedian. He wrote a book, and he tells this story about Bernie. He says, Bernie was mentally and physically handicapped. He walked with a clumsy gait, talked with a slur. Totally uninhibited and outgoing, Bernie sought the friendship of everyone. But few of us had time for him. For me, Bernie was a source, merely a source of material. I made jokes about him, would mock his actions behind his back. Because I was living with something to prove, I was willing to step on Bernie in an attempt to lift myself a little higher. One day on the athletic field, two captains were choosing sides for a softball game, and Bernie and I were the last to be chosen. I was humiliated. In that moment, I breathed a horribly inappropriate prayer. Please, God, let them choose me next. And I was chosen next. As it turned out, leaving Bernie standing alone. Bernie's eyes lit up. He didn't care about being chosen last. He only wanted to be chosen. And now that he was the only one left, surely it was his turn. But Bernie's look of anticipation quickly disappeared as the team captains began to argue about who would have to take him. You take him, one insisted. No, you take him, the other countered. A counselor quickly stepped in and assigned Bernie to a team. Sadly, as I was oblivious to the pain Bernie was probably feeling at that moment, I had avoided the embarrassment of being chosen last, and that's all I was care cared about. Now we could get on with the game. In fact, I probably wouldn't remember Bernie today if it weren't for what happened at the end of our stay at camp. It was time to go home, and everyone was standing by the buses, waiting to have their luggage loaded. I was with three boys who had become my friends during the week. Friends were a rare luxury for me, and I had compromised in many ways to gain the approval of these boys. And as we stood saying our goodbyes and promising to never lose contact, I can't even remember their names today, we heard Bernie coming, shouting, at the top of his lungs, his voice cracking with excitement. Good news, he cried with his familiar lisp. Good news! I quickly prepared to make my friends laugh one more time by mocking Bernie's cry. But before I could make the cruel response, Bernie broke into our circle. His eyes danced with a joy 
had not seen before. He gulps, catching his breath. Good news, he breathes in a hoarse whisper. Jesus loves me. Then pointing to his heaving chest, he changed the emphasis. Jesus loves me. And Bernie's eyes dance as with outstretched arms to emphasize his point, he vigorously nodded his head up and down, waiting for us to acknowledge this newly discovered truth. And we stood with our, eye, with our mouths open and our eyes averted in shame. But Bernie wasn't looking for our approval. He didn't need our approval anymore. He only sought a signal that we'd heard what he said. He was simply sharing the good news. And with a squeal of delight, he left us standing there and ran to find another group. And I can still hear his voice getting fainter as he made his way to the other end of the camp. Good news! Good news! Jesus loved me! Now, regardless of how he might score on an intelligence test, Bernie understood that morning what some men and women never grasped. Bernie knew he had nothing to prove because Jesus loved him. He didn't have to produce or perform or live up to the norms that surrounded him. Bernie didn't have to be popular. Bernie was free. One more piece of this that I want to look at before we close this morning. One more of Jesus' invitation to you and I that this story leads us into as we discover our identity in Christ. Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30 Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I love the way, this is one of the passages that I particularly love Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of in the message. Here's how he puts it. Are you tired and worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Jesus invites us to learn to rest in him. He invites us to learn rest in him. So what does that look like? Well, it looks like this. We learn to rest when we remove false yokes and false burdens. One of those yokes that we need to learn to be released from is that of legalism. If you have your Bible, you can go to John chapter 3 for a moment. I'm not going to read the whole passage to you, but I'll just remind you of the setting here. John, uh, Jesus is teaching and, 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 and has been teaching. He's begun his public ministry, and 
in verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 1, it tells us that there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council, and came to Jesus at night. Now, Nicodemus was one of the Pharisees. This is one of the 6,000 Pharisees who were really entrusted in, in, in with the responsibility of helping to make sure that the people of Israel understood and maintained the law in all of its consequences and all of its ramifications. But he was not only that, he was a member of the Jewish ruling council, a part of the Sanhedrin, one of the really chief mucky mucks for the people of Israel. And he comes to Jesus at night and he says this, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform these miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. And Jesus replies, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Well, how can someone be born when they're old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. Now, we could talk about the Pharisees for quite a while and the things that they did and and we'd go, oh yeah, it's very obvious the legalism that they walked under. But if we're not careful in growing up even within the context of the church, we can begin to drink from the bitter waters of legalism. Where we begin to think that somehow it's in our efforts. If we're just good enough, if I just can attain to this particular level of holiness, then God's going to, you know, and whatever, and it's all about what I do. We're, we understand, you know, we're saved by grace, but really, from that time on, it's up to us, right? <laughs> That's what we sometimes believe. But you don't only are birthed by grace, you live by grace. You can either live by grace or by guilt. You can either live by law or by love. See, Jesus had a lot more on his mind than simply making bad people good. He came to make dead people live. He's not interested in simply reformation. He's interested in transformation. He doesn't want to just simply rearrange your life. He wants to take it over. And he'll run it a lot better than you are. In your own strength, in your own efforts. God help us to be free from the yokes of legalism, which really doesn't produce life. It's a form of godliness, but it denies the true power. Jesus had some pretty direct things to say about legalism, didn't he? So lay aside the yoke of legalism in your life. 
Because it's really rooted in control and pride and it makes you crabby and angry. It just ain't pretty. Been there and done it. Really. It isn't life. Now, it's so interesting. From John 3, we go to, oddly enough, John 4. (laughs) And now we have the inverse of what the first story about Nicodemus. Do you remember John 4? The Pharisees, John 4, heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although, in fact, it was Jesus Not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. And when the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. And when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews don't associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you the living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. How can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his flocks and his herds? And Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of life welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And he told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband, What you have said is quite true. And then Jesus goes on. She says, well, I can see you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped in this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. And Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. We're born of the Spirit. We live in the Spirit. We worship in the Spirit. In spirit and in truth. And part of that is being released from the yoke of license. Which says I can do whatever I want. Without any consequence. But really, like Jesus in his encounter with the Samaritan woman... She was simply looking for her identity in all the wrong places. And so have many of us. And so have many of our neighbors and our friends and our family members who are desperately seeking for something that will satisfy, for water where they won't get thirsty again. And Jesus says, if you don't want to get thirsty again, come to me. I'm the only one. You can try everything else. You can go and do everything else. And it will not satisfy. But here's the deal. Jesus 
wants to bring us into the liberty that is his blessing as his children. He wants to lead us out of the yoke of legalism and out of the yoke of license and into the yoke of liberty. Does that sound good to anybody? Anybody would like liberty? I'd like that. Jesus says, in John chapter 8, to the Jews who believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So if the Son sets you free, you will be what? Free, what? Free indeed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Freedom. That's what he wants to, us to learn. He wants to learn us to learn liberty, to learn freedom. When we come to Jesus, we learn to live with nothing to hide, nothing to fear, nothing to prove, nothing to lose. This is the journey that I personally have been walking on for the last, almost, going on 50 years. I accepted the Lord at a very young age. I'm 53 now. And I, I can tell you, I can, I can be like Bernie today. And I can tell you good news. Jesus loves me. Good news. Jesus loves you. And he wants you to come to him like a child in that place of dependence and, and trust, that place of humility and transparency and simplicity. This is the gospel. This is the good news. This is where it begins. And this is where it ends. It's the whole ball of wax from beginning to end. He is the author and the finisher, the perfecter of our faith. He's the beginning and the end and everything in between. Why don't you come to him today? Worship team, come on up if you will. And while they're coming, I'm going to read this list that some of you have seen before. It's a list that Neil Anderson puts together. There's a scripture verse attached to every one of them. I won't give you all the scripture references. I just want to remind you of who you are today in Christ. The first big header is, I am accepted. Here's what the Bible tells you about who you are. I am God's child. I am Christ's friend. I have been justified. I am united with the Lord and am one in spirit with Him. I have been brought, bought with a price. I belong to God. I am a member of Christ's body. I am a saint. I have been adopted as God's child. I have direct access to God through the Holy Spirit. I have been redeemed and forgiven of all my sins. I am complete in Christ. Under the second heading, I am secure. I am free forever from condemnation. I am assured that all things work together for good. I am free from any condemning charges against me. I cannot be separated from the love of God. I have been established, anointed, and sealed by God. I am hidden with Christ in God. I am confident that the good work that God has begun in me will be perfected. I am a citizen of heaven. I have been given a, not a 
I have not been given a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and of sound mind. I can find grace and mercy in time of need. I am born of God, and the evil one cannot touch me. And finally, I am significant. I am the salt and light of the earth. I am a branch of the true vine, a channel of his life. I am a personal witness of Christ. I am God's temple. I am a minister of reconciliation for God. I am God's co-worker. I am seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. I am God's workmanship. I may approach God with freedom and confidence. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This is the true I am. There is no self-help book on any shelf that will give you this truth, this reality. Because all those self-help books, they're going to try to get you to do it in yourself, centered in you. But when you come to Him, you are centered in Christ and you belong to Him and you're His child and your job is to continue to surrender your life to Him that He might live in and through you. That's the true, the I am speaking in and, and establishing our identity and destiny in Him. I don't know about you, but that gets me excited. <laughs> I'm so grateful that He's called me to come to Him. I'm so grateful that He's called you. I know that He's calling you again today. And maybe you've never heard or responded before to that call to come to Him. But today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of new life. Today you can step into it. Today your eyes can dance with joy when you realize Jesus loves me. He loves me. And maybe you've lost all of that in the midst of the fog of circumstances. Maybe the voices of condemnation have been speaking hard in your life. Maybe you've been wearing a yoke of legalism or you've been wearing a yoke of license. Today, step out of those yokes and into the yoke of liberty with Him. Today is your day. Today is our day. Today is my day. He's saying, come to me. Can we stand together? And this morning, if you'd like to come, I invite you to come. If you're coming for salvation this morning, Tom and Kathy are right up front here. Denise and Lynn are right here. They would love to pray with you today and welcome you into the kingdom of God. You can step into the kingdom. Just come and find them today. Let them pray with you. Don't leave without stepping into that life. And if you just are aware this morning, the Spirit of God is just working in your life and you realize that you've forgotten who you are and you've gone back to being a goat and you hear the lion today roaring on the edge of your life, calling you back into your true identity as His child, as one of His. Come on. Step out now. We're going to do a benediction prayer after this. But this is our prayer this morning. Please join me up front here. Come on, step out. If you hear his voice calling you today. Hallelujah. All who are weak. Come on. Establish the truth in the inmost parts of our identity in you. Jesus, come. Heal us. Heal us. Now just open your hands, if you would, again. Receive the benediction now. 
I pray now that you would be filled afresh this very day with the immeasurable love of God the Father, with the irresistible mercy and grace of Jesus Christ the Son, with the inexhaustible strength, power, comfort, and hope of the Holy Spirit be with you and yours. As you go from this house to yours, sent to make disciples of all nations, go with the banner of his favor flying over your life. And until we gather again, either in this house or in our eternal home, I pray that the love and the mercy of Jesus Christ will chase you down. Go in his grace and goodness now. In the name of Jesus, you've been called. You've been called. Go, called ones. In his name, Jesus. Amen.